Sarah, this week you wrote about biking in the desert with a world champion. And I feel like you have more biking in the desert stories. I feel like you want to share them with us. Oh, Kelly, we could do a whole series. Oh my God. That would be way better than Tales from My Box. (laughs) You think so? We could just wrap it into Tales from My Box. Like biking in the desert stories slash tales from my box um yeah this this week for my column which is called tales from my box on livefeisty.com i think it's the fourth or fifth time i've written every week in a row for four or five weeks now good (laughs) yeah i talked about how when i first started training it just like by accident ended up training in alain and united arab emirates and it happened to be where ferris al sultan who then two or three years later became the world champion at ironman um, where he was training too. And so we ended up riding together. They, they would invite me on a lot of their rides, like often easy rides or rides with intervals where I could sit on a wheel. And then occasionally they'd be doing like, I can remember them doing an all out 300 K him and his training buddy, Wolfgang, Wolfgang, you can read about <laughs> Wolfgang in, <laughs> in the column. Um, what a name, what a German name, right? Um, <laughs> anyway, would you like 300 Ks all out or something across the desert? I was not invited on that day, but typically we'd go, Oh, and sometimes Ferris's then girlfriend, now wife, Ina would be there. And one year she even stayed with us in our house. So we had some fun stories, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to start with this one. This is okay. One. So all right. we used to always meet German timing. We'd always meet at seven o'clock in the morning at a certain round about and I'd have to be there like I'd be there at 658 or I'd miss the boat you know so I'm standing there at 658 and like riding in the Middle East the United Arab Emirates it's a fairly open country but you didn't see like it's open and I felt safe wearing cycling clothes as a woman out on the roads right but you didn't see other female cyclists wearing it's not like a lycra right riding, riding on the roads like I was the only one sure <laughs> right? and this wasn't Dubai so if I'd went to Dubai there would have been more or Abu Dhabi there would have been more but I was in a small town and so while I felt safe I also got a lot of like looks or honks and stuff like that even running so on this particular morning I was standing there and a guy pulled up in his SUV a local man pulled up in his SUV rolled down the window he started talking to me And I realized as he was talking that he thought I was a prostitute. No, it makes sense. It seems reasonable. (laughs) And okay. So I, he kept trying to get in his, in his broken English was like trying to get me to get into his vehicle with him. And you were like, right. Definitely not. (laughs) Right. And so eventually I conveyed obviously that I was not going to get, but he couldn't figure out why I was saying no, because he really thought I was a prostitute. So there was a lot of like back and forth before I was finally like, like, go away like fuck off like get out of here and what we laughed about later was like what I was wearing because I wasn't like back in those days I wasn't sponsored like I had the rattiest funniest looking cycling kit on ever. oh I saw like, the pictures yeah <laughs> yeah like it wasn't tight or anything I used to cut off I used to take you know those long like full-length knee socks you know for okay arm- I used to wear use them for arm warmers so I had these ones I remember I bought them in a market in London and I cut the feet off them and there were stripes, like they were all different colors, stripes. And I had those on my arms. Like I was like the rolling clown like prostitute. <laughs> so, so for a long time after that, we called me the rolling prostitute. The rolling prostitute. That makes sense. It seems, it seems reasonable. I mean, who knows what prostitutes wear in the UAE? Maybe that's the uniform. I have an idea what they wear and 
Well, <laughs> apparently you don't. Let me just say. <laughs> so. Maybe this guy was just attracted to cyclists. Maybe he had a lycra fetish or something. Yeah, that's probably it. That I makes way more sense. <laughs> anyway, we can do a couple more stories in future weeks if, if people enjoy this, uh, this segment. Let us know if you want to hear more stories about Sarah being a cycling prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> And on that note, coming up on the show, <laughs> the data is out on the new Kona qualifying system. What does it mean? Should pro athletes quit at their peak? How YouTube and social media are changing fringe sports? And a voicemail from a listener. Kelly, I finally got my shipment of noon up here in Canada, and I am so excited. The last couple days, I've been going to CrossFit with Noon Hydration Sport Watermelon Flavor, and I have been loving it so far. But I want to know from you, what product should I try next? Okay, so you're trying the tablet. So the Sport tablet is the one you drop in your water bottle. They also have an immunity tablet for you know when you're feeling sick that you can drop in your water bottle. And I've been trying the, or been using the Noon Rest which is for recovery and relaxation. It's like chamomile flavored. It has magnesium and potassium in it. I you like drink it before you go to bed. Helps you recover well. You sleep great. It's fantastic. Okay, awesome. I'm totally going to try that tonight. Okay, if anyone at home wants to try, go to noonlife.com and use the code IRONWOMEN and you get 30% off. So Iron Women is our sister podcast. Noonlife, N-U-U-N, life.com. Give it a try. Live Feisties, If We Were Riding is brought to you by Ass Kicker Inc. Ass Kicker makes activewear for women, featuring empowering phrases like work hard, play hard, kick ass, or strong women lift each other up. Ass Kicker Inc. also makes our fabulous Live Feisty tank tops, t-shirts, hoodies, and leggings. So to order yours, go to livefeisty.com and just choose shop from the menu. And of course, use the code RIDING to save 20%. That's riding, as in if we were, at livefeisty.com. And remember, I before E, except if you're feisty. I'm Kelly O'Mara. And I'm Sarah Gross. And you're listening to Live Feisty's If We Were Riding. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race in the Okay, Sarah, last week we said that the final Kona list was out and we just kind of like briefly touched on it. But Torsten, our favorite German analyst, shout out to Torsten Rad, uh, broke down the numbers because obviously now that we've had a full year, we can actually be like, okay, this is the effect it had. And this is how that is different from the old system or the most recent old system. Cause obviously there was another system before that system and one before like, there's been like, I feel like there's been every year there's a new I system. It's like, <laughs> It's a little fine. ridiculous. It's fine. Anyway. So he crunched the numbers. And so his big question was, you know, how would this have compared to the points ranking system we had last year? And like, there are people who would have qualified under the KPR, the points ranking that did not qualify now. Right. Cause they just had a lot of like solid middle of the pack finishes. Right. And then there are people who qualified in the win one and you go who would not have qualified under the KPR. If they didn't do anything different, obviously, if the system was different, people would have raced differently. That is what it is. So then the question was, how did it affect, like, how did it change the pro fields? And so he mm-hmm. said that 
obviously it didn't really change the gender breakdown of Kona. Like we kind of already knew that it's pretty much the same more or less as it was, even though women had the opportunity to earn more slots under this new system. Oh, the God. opportunity, Sarah, the opportunity by, oh, okay. Don't even get me started. We're not even going okay. There. No, we're not going there. Continue. You have the opportunity guys to prove that you earned, that you, you deserve things. Anyway, so the gender breakdown was basically the same. The DNF rate was basically the same. A lot of people had said, oh, like the D- so many people are going to drop out now because, you I know. I thought they might. I thought yeah. more people might DNF if they weren't winning because you need the win to qualify. So maybe people would just sort of drop out and do the one the next week. But that didn't prove to be true. Well, slightly more men DNF'd, but no more f- women. The DNF rate for women did not change. Also right. way fewer women DNF, which I think is, you know, just in general. When you work so hard to get that opportunity, you kind of see it through. Like, I'm just going to throw that out there. And then but the one thing I thought was interesting. So we have speculated, obviously, that not having to race more, people would race less, right? Like, it's kind of like, if you don't have to, you would race less. And yeah. his numbers suggest, if you look at the year before, for all the people who qualify for Kona, that, yeah, they did race fewer Ironmans, like fewer fulls, for sure. But he also found that they raced fewer 70.3s which I think is interesting because my on the ground looking at people anecdotal evidence is that at least the women in North America are racing more 70.3s. So I'm wondering if like, it's just a North American thing. If it's like how we're counting, if there's something I miss it, you know, like why, if I can list all these women who are (laughs) definitely racing more 70.3s now, why, like what's, why is that not showing up? Like what is, uh, what am I missing, Sarah? What am I missing? Is it just, is his count in the global context or is it just in yeah. North America? No, it's global. And so I think that what, what I'm missing is the whole European racing scene. Like in a lot right. of ways, that's what <laughs> so I'm missing. missing. <laughs> your your, your America centric focus is biting you in the arse right now. But no, it's, I think you're right. It is true that in our context, there seem to be more women racing 70.3s. Yeah. North and I, my guess is just that like European racing is different. I mean, we know it's like very different. Um, just in terms and there's of less women overall and there's yeah. less pro women in Europe and other yes. parts of the world. And a lot of the athletes, I mean, we've talked about this before. I think you were right. I think his numbers are just like, he's doing an overall calculation right. of a global perspective. Um, and he's probably right. And you were probably also right. Nice. Sarah thinks everyone is right guys. That is totally mm-hmm. different than her usual uh, right. stance. <laughs> Everybody gets along and holds hands and is great <laughs> in Canada. So anyway, it's interesting. Obviously, I mean, it may take a few more years to really see how this new system is affecting the pro field, though in a few more years, we're not going to have a pro field. So whatever. Yeah. Okay. I have a couple thoughts. Um, <laughs> I have a couple thoughts about this new system. One. Okay. Firstly, I think I was a little bit, I'm a, I was a little bit slow to this thought. I can't believe I didn't think of, of it last year. Okay. But sometimes the people who do best in Kona come into the year really slowly. Sure. Right? So they, or even go top 10. Cause I think you have to exclude like someone like Rennie, she comes into her year slowly. Yes. Right. Like you see her, she goes to 70.3 races. She might finish sixth and then fifth. And then maybe she gets a couple podiums and then she comes to Kona and wins. Well, she off seasons hard. And yes. I think she like plans her year around. Like it takes a while to get fitness back. Right. And a lot yes. of people believe like that. That's how you win Kona. Or that's how you do well in Kona. Right. Mm-hmm. But that option isn't really available to anyone who hasn't previously won Kona. <laughs> basically, or doesn't have an automatic qualification. The top three, top three of automatic. Yeah. 
Right. So if you're outside the top three, you don't really have this option to come in because you have to peak somewhere along the way to win a race to get there. True. Right. So I didn't, I never thought about this before. So I, I thought of it when I saw, um, Sarah Osa Lundstrom. Oh, okay. On, cause I know that she's come eighth in Kona before. I think she came 10th or 11th another year. So she's like a top 10 finisher in Kona who this year didn't qualify because previously she, I think she has won a couple Ironmans before, but sometimes she's qualified on a second place or a couple of right. strong podiums. Um, so I was really surprised not to see her and it's disappointing because she is someone who can get in that top 10 in Kona. So I think there are some examples like that and we're not going to know moving forward who they are with this new system because some mm. people who are slow into the year and might pull it out in Kona or do really well in heat just won't even get there. Well, they could always qualify around then for the next year, like do an Arizona to qualify for the, you got to replan your whole strategy, Sarah. You got to change your race schedule. Like we adjust to whatever the system is. Yeah. I guess you would qualify a year later, but again, there's, there's just definitely more like roll of the dice for that. The other thing that I thought of as I was reading through Torsten's numbers, trying to take it all in, what it all means is I was just looking at the, we'll include a link. So you can take all the numbers in yourself. (laughs) And as I was looking at the names and who qualified, who didn't, I thought, holy shit. Like when this generation, the current generation retires, which is coming up soon and everyone there's going to be a mass exodus in the next couple of years. There is no one there to replace them. There's not enough money for athletes to. I mean, it's basic fucking economics, right? Like when you don't invest in development and like creating a pipeline, there will not be one. And so when this pe- these people leave and they are and they will like very soon, we all know it. Like there isn't a pipeline because you didn't fucking build one. Like it's really very simple. And right. like you didn't build one because you thought it didn't matter because you thought you don't need those people. You just need Daniela and Lucy and Marinda and you'll be fine. But you didn't plan for after that. Like... Yeah. And by you, I do not mean you. Clearly, clearly we are Me? talking to a specific Personally. person, like uh, organization, right? whatever. And then, and you will get a few people from the ITU, like, you know, like mm-hmm. how sort of last year we had Annie Hogg, Sarah True coming over, you know, there will be always that couple of people too, but there's just not, there's just not the strong depth. It looks weird. Honestly, it looks weird if you have like three really good people and no one to beat. Like who are they good by comparison to? I feel like that's like, I don't know, like every fucking race this year. Sorry, I'm going to stop swearing. People have told me, actually, I'm not, like, I'm not, let's be real. But people have told me they can't listen when their kids are in the room. And then you're like, well, guys, like, your kids are going to go out in the universe and people are going to swear. So we do have a little E beside the, I, know. I press the E button not for explicit on the podcast, like right on the feed. So every, everywhere you listen to it, it has an E. So it's <laughs> so. not my fault. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I, this, obviously we keep, we keep talking about this, Sarah. We keep talking, we keep saying everyone's going to leave. What if we end up being wrong and everyone stays like seven more years? I don't think it's going to happen. I would love it. Like I would embrace that. I want to be wrong right now. I really do. Okay. So this brings us to our next topic, Sarah. Mm -hmm. Athletes quitting at their peak versus like hosting it out. So this big football player and I almost, Sarah, in the newsletter, I almost wrote Andrew Luck, parentheses, Sarah, that's football. FYI. You should have because I had no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Quit this week while he's like presumably at his at his peak. I mean, he's been injured, whatever. Don't at me about football details. I don't care. But this raises a lot of questions about other, there are other athletes. There are examples throughout history who quit when they were still like the best or close to the best or at least in their prime. Can you think of a lot of triathletes besides Chrissy? Chrissy Wellington quit when she was still like super dominant. She could have won more Kona's for sure. 
Okay, I think it's okay. I think it's different to quit in your prime if you're making multi millions of dollars in your prime and you're set for life and you're just like, okay. fuck it, I'm moving on. Christy was not making multi millions. I'm I'm referencing your football thingy, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I can think of. Um, I thought of Sam McGlone, uh, who ended up quitting as a result of an, an injury. Like she had some medical issues and it just went on and on and she never came back, right. but it was right in her prime. The first year when Chrissy won unexpectedly, Sam actually came second. I don't know if you remember. Right, and right, she, right. she ran a, she was a 70.3 world champion. She ran a low three, like a 301 or 302 back when n- I think like maybe there was one woman, Rinny, who ran under right. three hours. So that that was an impressive marathon, her debut. Um, and then she just never came back. So she was Canadian too. So it was sad. sad oh, you times. know what other Canadian I weirdly was thinking about recently? Kristen Sweetland. Oh, yeah. Yeah. People who like speaking of retired when they were like 26. But here's my question, Sarah. A lot of people are always like, oh, quit while you're ahead, retire in your prime, or at least, you know, don't don't hang on forever. But why why not? Why the fuck not? If you love it, you want to race, why not? Like Absolutely. Be Craig Alexander and still be winning at 40, I don't know what he is, 47, 52, whatever. Yeah, or like Mel McQuaid, going right. strong. Um who who won the oh uh Didi Grace Bauer. Didi like is still biking faster than everybody. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that I think you, you have to acknowledge how triathletes make their living. That's maybe what I was getting at with the mm-hmm. other sports making multi-millions is that like people are realistically, they've used their name and their influence for something else, like a coaching company, a training group with sponsors, like sponsors still want you out there. Like if you've won like Crowey, right? Like he's a, he's a multiple world champion, right? So he still will have sponsors that get behind him. And he has a big training group, I think now coaching company. So there's still really lucrative reasons for him to be out there. And I think that's true of a, a lot of pros. I think still though, that Crowey races because Crowey likes to race. True. I think he could have transitioned to a bunch of other jobs. He's wildly popular in Australia. And that's what I'm getting at is we always say, or we don't, but society often is, you know, down on the people who race or compete, even though they're not as good as they once were on Venus Williams. She's not as like, she was the best in the world and she's a hundredth and something now. And everyone keeps saying, why don't you quit? When are you going to retire? Maybe she, she doesn't want to like, and if she doesn't want to like, who like let her, yeah, wh- whatever. No, I have respect for people who stay around. I also, yeah. I mean, I think to each their own. Like I remember in Dubai one time seeing Martina Navratilova at a tennis tournament. She was like in the doubles, like randomly, like we weren't expecting to see her. She was in her fifties, you know, and it, that was kind of thrilling. Right? right. I was just like, I was really glad she was there. Yeah. Why not? Speaking of making your money, do you like my transitions today? <laughs> my transitions, transitions are, are beautiful. So I really, I mean, we've talked kind of around this topic a few times, but we haven't, we haven't tackled it head on Sarah. So in the newsletter this week, I mentioned a couple of, Oh my God, YouTube is changing through hiking. Social media is changing surfing. And these stories come up all the fucking time. Oh my God, the internet is changing. Pick your like random fringe sports, rock climbing, extreme paragliding. That's a real thing. Anyway, (laughs) and we've never really talked about the new business model of triathlon. How has the internet changed? I mean, I think we know, but how has it changed how people make money in our sport. I only know this from the other side where I talk to a lot of pros who, and and again, with the same time we have money drying up a little bit, but who Mm -hmm. where sponsors used to, used to look at much more at results. Um, They also used to look at influence. Like people used to love that that 
people when people coach and stuff like that but now like literally you can have sponsors say to you oh you don't have very many instagram followers we're not interested in you well you know what those sponsors are i don't know seven years behind the times because follower count is super out as a metric that we measure anymore you can Absolutely. buy those what you care about now is engagement like what was the <laughs> i have 900 followers that seems really small but those 900 really fucking care about me they do. They all email me. Every single one of them. <laughs> That's probably true. It's the same. Yeah. It's the same with our podcast, right? Yeah. Like we hear from a lot of our very few listeners. That's <laughs> right. But I think in general, so I was actually just working on a story about this. And I think kind of when you talk about how social media, YouTube, the internet is changing triathlon sponsorships, what it seemed like to me after I talked to a whole bunch of people is that you either have to be really, really, really fucking good. And I think there's actually a lot of money, like money has even become more concentrated and there's more money for Jan or Daniela or Lucy. Lionel. Lionel, right? The top 10, top 10. But after the top 10, if you're not really, really, really fast, you better be goddamn interesting. Like Mm -hmm. those are your options. And that can be, you can shoot all your own videos and make gorgeously produced videos. You can have a super interesting, or you can hire someone to do that. That's what everyone else is doing, right? Hiring their videographer for their YouTube channel, or you can have really great engaging Instagrams. I'm just saying those are your options now, it seems like, and those are not necessarily the same skills. Those are unrelated skills. Okay. Give me an example of someone outside the top 10 who is super engaging on some kind of platform that people think are engaging or that I think is engaging that people think are engaging. Well, okay. So arguably Lionel, I mean, he's really, really good now, but he was engaged. People loved him before, before he was really, really that's good true. That's for a good sure. Example. There's been a number of other people that I feel like the thing is then all those people in the middle, they just, they're, they're trying, like, basically all those people who aren't quite fast enough, they're trying to be engaging, but they're getting pushed out by the influencers, right? Who have the skills to be interesting and make videos, but aren't fast, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm just struggling actually to find someone in that middle zone who's actually been really successful, who's been a semi-successful athlete. I think it's because it's hard. I think it's because it's hard because the influencers are better at being a personality and the best athletes are better and you can't, and you're splitting your time trying to do both because your sponsors are saying, well, we need photos of you or whatever, but you also need to train, you know, like it's, it's hard to do both actually, I think. Yeah. And you're constantly trying to train enough to make a breakthrough or you Mm -hmm. you have to try that little bit harder than someone who's already got to that level to the next level. Interesting. Yeah. You're like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm shrugging over here. You're like, well, I mean, I, it's actually, it's, uh, interesting is another word for super problematic, but (laughs) true. Because it is part of why, I mean, it's not why money's drying up. Money was already drying up, but it's part of what's making it even harder for pros to make a living. And you could say like, whatever, it doesn't matter, but. I have an example to my own question. Oh, good. Angela Nath. Yeah. Because she has a whole team. Yeah. She spent moments as top tier, you know, Mm -hmm. like she has won a lot of 70.3s. She's won a couple Ironmans. You know, she's definitely very close to top tier, but she's not. I wouldn't call her top 10 in the world, but she created a a women's team. She did a really good job Mm -hmm. of creating some influence for herself. That is the only example I came up with. (laughs) Lindsay, Lindsay Corbin obviously is also one of the top tier athletes, but I mean, she's not, she's not a Daniela, but she has a really good social presence. She has amazing photos. Her husband does social media for a living. uh, And that is a benefit if you're one of Lindsay's sponsors. Right. And she knows, and 
I think she knows that. I think she is very smart about that. So true. There's a lot of people. I follow all the people on the Instagrams. Me too. Actually, I, I don't. Too. I just, I just, I'm trying to follow. I'm trying to get out of the social media, Sarah. It's fine. Whatever. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about your mental health later. Yes. <laughs> okay. We also got a voicemail from a listener, one of our favorite listeners this week. Hi, Kelly and Sarah. This is Peter. And I wanted to talk about the question you asked in your last podcast about whether women are inherently taught not to compete or that competing is not feminine. And in that same podcast, just three minutes before you ask the question in your ad for Ask Kicker Inc., you say that it includes empowering phrases like strong women lift each other up. And I'm wondering whether it's not that women are taught or recently taught that they shouldn't compete, but maybe that women are taught that uh, supporting each other and solidarity with other women is better or more valuable than competing with other women. So it's all perfectly all right if you, you know, race and you kick a guy's ass in a race, but it's even more powerful if you can share a victory with another woman. And I wonder if that's what's being communicated. Um, again, this is a guy's opinion, so I don't know if uh, I'm really interpreting things right, but uh, wanted to know your thoughts. Bye. So, Kelly, Peter mentioned the, that quote that's on um, the Ask Kicker Ink shirts. Strong mm-hmm. women lift each other up. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's how I'm going to lift you up. How? Okay. I'm going to lift you up by like absolutely devastating you in any competition. And I'm going to help you. (laughs) I'm going to help you be better by doing that. That is actually, I want to say, and this is why branding is, doesn't work an ad for something right now on the TVs, maybe Gatorade, maybe Nike. I don't oh, know. Really? Did I just copy yeah. a Nike ad? I don't, it might not be I that. Thought I thought I was so original. <laughs> there's an ad right now that says, find someone who will always fight you all the time, every second and push you. Yeah. And I'm kind so. of saying this in a jokey voice, but I, it's actually true that I think the best way, and I think that's why people took so much, like all this conversation came out of us talking about the two women who intentionally tied right. at the WGS race. And, and I think that the reason people took offense to that is because we do believe that that's true. Like the best way to respect your competitor is to compete against them to the best of your ability. Like you give them the respect of like, I tried my hardest and I, and I won or I lost, but I, I, I did my, my best. Yeah. But the other thing like with, okay, the other thing, sometimes I uh, feel frustrated about, I guess, around our cultural attitudes around competition, which is kind of kind of touching what Peter was talking about, is that sometimes people don't really understand like when is the, in the right time to be competitive and not. Right? Okay. And it can be annoying either way, right? Okay. Like I think when you're supposed to be, when it's like the gun goes off, go, it's time to be competitive. When it's over, Like, don't compete with me in every micro thing we're doing throughout the rest of the day or whatever. (laughs) Like, don't, unless you have an understanding, you know, sometimes you have people in your life and you're like, you just give them like a little side eye and you know, it's like game on at like your CrossFit box, for example, or just picking a, picking a random example. Just exactly. But then like, so that's like a healthy competition. Right. But then there's like other times when people will be competitive, like for no reason. And I'm just like, you know what, go find a competition, like go find a running race compete against all those people, but like, don't try to win the like recycling. 
This has come up a lot. You've mentioned this before, and I feel like maybe this is more about you. I feel like this might be something going on here that we're going to have to dive into. Have I talked about this a lot? Yeah. I, I, I feel like, okay, the thing, with, the thing with me is it's more like the opposite, is that people assume that when you're competitive right on the race because that you're also like going to be competitive in your day-to-day oh, life yeah, yeah. and like frankly i just don't give a shit what anyone oh yeah no, like, people do that to me all the time and i'm like no 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 you have not met my sister <laughs> <laughs> all right after the break we're going to talk about whether or not you should wave to people while you're cycling be friendly we would like to thank noon hydration for supporting the podcast Get 30% off your order by using the code IRONWOMEN at NoonLife.com. That's IRONWOMEN at NoonLife.com. And don't forget to order your feisty gear at LiveFeisty.com with the code RIDING to get a 20% discount. Follow at If We Were Riding on all the social medias and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, tell your actual friends in person how awesome we are because that works too. If We Were Riding is a Live Feisty Media production and is hosted by Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross. Our marvelous editor is Aaron Hamilton. My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time. You better get ready to race to the top. I'm ready to do this, show you what the truth is. I step on the field, it's time to get real and I'm feeling so ruthless. So Kelly, we've all been waiting by as the as the outro rolled. <laughs> Do you feel like people should wave to other cyclists? Why did you ask this question? Well, okay, so it's a it's a it's a rule of cycling that cyclists often, and let me be clear, a lot of times it's male cyclists often cite. They're like, oh, you should always wave to the people. And I've even had people comment on the social medias about, oh, this place is so unfriendly. I waved to everyone when I was out riding, and no one waved to me. The fuck is with everyone and waving? Like, I don't just wave to people when I'm, like, walking down the street. I don't think I've... I'm trying to think if I've ever waved to anyone in my life. No, I have, I'm sure. But it's weird. And, like, no, I don't want to wave to you while I'm biking. Okay, you're so... I don't know. I don't know if I want to say American or, like, San Francisco. Like, I don't quite know how I want to identify this right now. But I like, might, I'll give a nod. I'll be like, hey, maybe, if I'm not okay, in, in the middle okay. of an interval. That's a good acknowledgement. A yeah. nod. I feel like a nod and a wave are, like, same category. Smile. A wave is weird. Like, it's weird. It's weird. (laughs) Just the wave is weird? A waving is weird. Like, you're not in a parade, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Kelly's rules of cycling. How about, like, a a quiet, subtle wave? Like, how how wavy does the wave have to be before it bothers you? Uh, I'm trying. Okay, so, like, if you you do the one, one sweeping motion, like the, hey, that might be okay. And if it's a friend, sometimes if it is a friend, I will be like, hey! Right. Jump up and down. Kelly's but. waving wildly at me through through the video. If right. I saw you out cycling here suddenly and I was surprised, I would probably wave. Okay, I would absolutely save that kind of wave, the back and forth, multiple motion <laughs> wave for like friends, friends or family. <laughs> um, but I definitely okay. So the other thing I do, the other way I use waves, I like will acknowledge other cyclists or or other runners when I'm running for sure. The other way that i use like the a wave is ironically like if a if a motorist gets upset with me and they oh, honk or right. something and you know that they're upset and you're like hey just like wave like you pre- like you pretending that the honk is right, right um, a right. friendly honk that's one that i use a lot the other thing and i think i've said this on the podcast before so i'm sorry about the repeat 
I, I'm like in my to 40s our intense or... fans who have listened I to every myself episode. a lot. Um, <laughs> I uh, when I first moved to the UK, they don't acknowledge each other running or cycling. And I was just like, I felt like a crazy person. And it was really hard as a Canadian to break the habit of like acknowledging other people who were running or biking as I bike by them. Like I actually found it, I like kept doing it for months and months before I finally had so many people give me weird looks like, do I know you? Like when I gave them like yeah. a smile or a nod when I was running, it's that I it's finally it's like weird. got rid of that habit, but it took a while. Good. It's like, it's like when you go in a store here in America and someone greets you, someone is literally paid minimum wage to stand there and welcome you to the store. And I find it weird. I am capable of walking in a store, but, but a friend of mine who works at a bank told me if they don't have somebody standing there greeting people, complain just wow. like these fucking waiver Nazis. None of you people can tell me to stop my town, my crown. We know what it takes to be reaching the top. We're reaching the top. We're reaching the top. We know what it takes to be reaching the top.